Good morning, everybody, and welcome to All Things SR Podcast. How are you this morning, Leslie? Good morning, Pam, and good morning, friends. I'm doing well. Um, happy June 20th. It's yes. almost hard to believe we are nearing the halfway point of 2020. Um, I'm I'm kind of in a time zone, a time warp. I think a lot of us are due to uh, COVID nineteen and all the incredible events of the year. Um, but it's uh, it's it's been really just remarkable reflecting on everything that's happened. Um, and I have to say, one of the things I thought about this morning as we were preparing for the podcast is the fact that I am really really thankful um, that we've had these wonderful uh, films to look forward to because I really feel the um, SR community has helped to keep me excited and motivated and um, connected to people during the midst of some of these crazy times we're living in. So um, I'm just happy to be here. Oh, and they are and, crazy. <laughs> they are and, and, crazy. They are. And, and as I'm, I'm laughing because uh, Betty says, July is almost here. More Paul <laughs> <laughs> and Pittsburgh. Uh, Lauren, uh, our friend Lauren from Western Pennsylvania said, the professor would be proud. I've already finished my Italian lesson on Duolingo this morning, which mm-hmm. is really wonderful. Um, Lauren, you're better than me. I've missed the last two days. So, <laughs> as some of li- some of the listeners may know, there's a there's a a movement afoot. I think there are several fans who have been inspired to learn Italian um, based on seeing the movie and probably hearing Giulio speak um, his native language, and um, it's been great. Franca is saying hello from ev- to everybody from Machili, Johannesburg this morning. <laughs> Hope you are all enjoying your warmer weather. Yes, Frank, I know you guys are in the midst of winter uh, down there. It's starting because today's the first day of summer in this hemisphere. Can you believe it? I am in shock. I'm very happy, though. I love the warm weather. That makes me very do. happy. <laughs> <laughs> I just wish I was at a beach to enjoy it. No, <laughs> Betty was... says, I've only learned the word. The only word I've learned in Italian I need to know at the moment is stronzo. and boy didn't melanie deliver that beautifully in uh as julia in that scene at lobby uh among other places that's so great some of the words i well i am fortunate enough to have uh phil quiz me almost daily (laughs) on on italian phrases he gave me a book from, I'm going to say 1960, and it was probably it. earlier than that, of Berlitz uh, Italian for Conversation. This book is falling apart. It's taped all over the place. <laughs> I think that is so sweet. <laughs> it is sweet. I love it. I love it. You know, and <laughs> every time I walk in the house... I get a phrase and I have to, I'm like, oh God, what do I, how do I answer that? <laughs> <laughs> I think so, that's great. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny. Uh, Franca can speak Italian fluently, so she can help anyone who needs the help. I think, Franca, that's a very generous that offer. And I have a feeling generous. you're going to have a lot, 
a lot of friends taking you up on that. Um, good to see you, Dahlia um, and Mon. Uh, Monica is saying it's really, really hot in uh, Portugal this uh, afternoon, I believe. We're in the midday there. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just it's just great to see everybody joining us this morning. Lori Ruby joins us. Hello, Lori. Um, really, really happy um, to have everybody here. I, I know uh, Lauren was saying here in western Pennsylvania it's supposed to be very hot, so she's enjoying the few cool hours of coolish air this morning out on her deck. So nice place to be doing that. Very nice place I, I to be doing that. Finally had the air conditioner put in my window yesterday, and uh, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> and, and and Betty, I, I, I'm glad you got your air conditioner in there. That's huge. That's a huge step. That is a huge and, step. And in terms of Franca's uh, gracious offer for uh, uh, speaking Italian with our, our, that's our family friends, um, Lauren said a lot of people are going to take her up on it and Betty noted that she speaks fluent gelato so I do <laughs> Betty, that very I'm well you. too <laughs> I'm with you there <laughs> uh, and uh, Dolly is noting that it's 3 p.m. in Egypt and she's in the kitchen getting some cooking done <laughs> which is something I will be doing later uh, she's listening to us but her hands might be busy no worries Dahlia no I, I used to listen to the Florentine series uh, cooking every uh, uh, Saturday morning at 10 a.m., uh, either cooking or cleaning. That's usually what I was doing uh, listening to the podcasts. So, And I would listen um, to the Gabriel series in my car when I was after uh-huh. dropping my granddaughter off on Sundays. <laughs> so. And good morning, Kenzie. I'm laughing at what you just posted because uh, <laughs> I think uh, it's funny that uh, you got the text because I was going to uh, send you a little note saying, good morning, Kenzie, time for podcast. Um, she says, hallelujah for Pam, because I completely forgot about the podcast. I need my history lesson. So, <laughs> and uh, what, uh, what, what good friends we have. Kenzie, I wanted to also let you know, since you've been studying uh, Italian, uh, that Franca has graciously said, since she is uh, fluent in Italian, that she'd be happy to help all those who are who want to practice. So I think that's really a beautiful thing. And thank you so much for that offer, Franca. Grazie, as they say mm-hmm. in Italy. So shall we uh, dig into some of the announcements? We should. We should. Um, SR wanted to make sure that we're all following a, a- a new group of uh, fans. Judith has uh, started the SR Fan Sweden in on Facebook. She also has a Twitter handle on that. Uh, KC and, and uh, a few other groups of readers have started SR Fans Germany on Twitter and Facebook. Yeah. Karina, yes, and I, I think yeah. that's exciting. Yeah, it is. Also, Karina began an SR Fans Netherlands Facebook page. So I have to go out, and I don't know if I, I don't th- know if I am following the Netherlands. I have to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was really excited. KC um, is the person who actually also is leading the effort to get the books published in German. Um, and I have to say, I am. When when she when I saw that post in the Fox's Den a couple weeks ago, 
Um, and I had reached out and said, hey, you know, let's talk about this. Let's try and get things moving. Um, I was really surprised that his work is not translated into German. I, I would have thought I would have thought that would have been uh, the publishers would have would have jumped at his uh, SR's work. Um, so I'm really uh, Casey's passion to do this is really um, palpable. And it's very exciting that she's um, she's working with uh, some friends who are bloggers. Casey also is a writer in her own right, and um, so they're, they've you know if you haven't signed the petition, uh, do that and help them by retweeting, um, and and following their groups uh, because it's it's another way to help share um, share the books with other other soon to be fans. You know, that's that's true. There's also <laughs> uh, started by Sandra W, a Facebook group for uh, SR fans Poland. That's great. Yeah, really, really so, good. Spreading out into the ether, still looking for Antarctica. <laughs> I know, I know. We have to connect with someone who's doing research down there. Absolutely. <laughs> Although because it is I winter. Think- it is winter there, and I think they kind of close up a lot of stuff during the winter there. I think you're right. Mm-hmm. Maybe um, if someone also, does, maybe if someone happens to do uh, um, some kind of uh, cruise ship uh, eco tour, and oh, that maybe that's as cool. close as we're going to get, right? <laughs> it would be cool. That would be very, very cool. <laughs> Um, also, uh, SR said the Brazilian readers have been contacted by several Brazilian publishers, uh, the direct results of social media campaigns. It does make a difference. And he wants to, and you encourage, uh, not just the German, Dutch and Polish readers, uh, but join them in encouraging, uh, publishers to get their books in their languages. Yes. Uh, he also told us that Passion Flicks is adding Polish subtitles to Gabriel's Inferno, part one, and they should be up in about two weeks. Um, That's great. He'll, yeah. He'll also he'll announce that when it's ready. There are also Czech and Russian subtitles, all brought about by readers. So being active in social media is important, and it's heard by Passion Flicks as well as the publishers. And he's very thankful and wants everyone to keep up the good work. It's helping the wider international community. It's very exciting. I, I know that Russian subtitles were added uh, prior to or right after the release of Part 1 in, mm-hmm. in, because of the, the requests and the demands that um, – it's really requests, not demands, but the, 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 the hope that they could have uh, the subtitles. Um, so it's, it's really exciting to see the different offerings and the, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and the response from passion flicks, I think is beautiful. Yes. I, I love, you know, Tosca gets it. She yes. gets it and she appreciates it. And I think the fact that she has lived in several different uh, nations really gives her that good global perspective. And she understands that it's really helpful if someone wants 
to be watching a film that is not in uh, a, a viewer's native language, that it can be um, really, really helpful to have those subtitles. And frankly, I just think it's really, really excited. Yeah, it's great. Um, it is great. Well, and, and Petit Leon, I was very happy to see that you need some happy to get me through today and donuts give you moments of bliss. That yes. Do. We all agree. We need some donuts. We need some coffee. I definitely um, need coffee. <laughs> <laughs> I know Kenzie went to get some and there have been, uh, Dolly and Franco were talking about some of the things they're baking and making today. And I told them they're making me hungry. And so now I have an open invitation to Dahlia's table. Um, I would love to take you up on that sometime. And, uh, as speaking of our international friends, I see Susie has joined us. Hello. Good morning, Susie. Good afternoon or good evening. Good afternoon. Actually, yes. Good evening. Good evening in uh, (laughs) Adelaide, Australia. So I'm, Um, uh, very excited about our podcast today, but we have a couple, um, one other thing that has other things. Yes. This is exciting ladies. Exciting, Um, exciting news. He's been waylaid for the past couple of weeks because he's been reviewing the screenplay for Gabriel's redemption. And he's also viewing a rough cut part three. Yes. Yes. A rough cut of part three. It's very exciting. And he is saying that it is Brilliant and beautiful. (laughs) Of course, we already can imagine that, right? (laughs) Part three. Uh, It's it's been shot so beautifully in part one. Mm -hmm. I can only imagine. I'm wrapping my brain around what those scenes in Italy are going to be like. Yeah, Susie's like, woohoo, and Betty's <laughs> chapter 34. I love how the fans know know what chapter it is when they exactly. finally come together. <laughs> After one of our one of a uh, one of the other fa- passion flicks fans named Pam um, calls it uh, 400 pages of foreplay <laughs> before <laughs> before it's the true. before the culmination of uh, them joining together. Well, I've, As Betty you know, says, lying in the hands of God. Feel the rhythm, uh, the iconic chapter. <laughs> two, two friends of mine who don't really follow SR's, SR on Twitter or anything, especially one because she wouldn't know what Twitter is. Um, they, they, you know, I, they've both seen part one now. One has seen it twice in one day and the other one has seen it almost every night since it came out. Mm. And they are chomping at the bit why is it taking it so long? Um, how, well, when I told her, when I told one the 29th, she was like, what do you mean the 20th? I've got to wait that long? Come on. <laughs> and uh, Good she things also, come to those who wait. <laughs> that's exactly it. And uh, she is also waiting for chapter 34. So mm. it'll it's going to be great. Be good. Yeah. Yes, and and Susie's saying uh, she's she thinks G is going to sing. She is hopeful of that. And as Betty said, we were all waiting for that chapter. Fireworks. Uh-huh. And <laughs> Petit 
Lyons says, I am so excited for the scene in front of the fireplace. That scene touched my heart and it will give us a taste for what's to come in Rapture. Yes, I've, I've yes, been thinking Ms. about Kinsey. that quite a bit. I think that's probably going to be, the for me, that may end up being my most uh, favorite scene. Um, I don't know. We'll have to see. It's such an emotional powerhouse of, mm-hmm. a, of a scene in the book. Um, and she also hopes, she or he also hopes he sings too. Good morning, Annette. Hope things are good down, uh, down in New Orleans in the Big Easy. Glad you could join us this morning. And Kenzie's waiting to see if she can find Air Force <sighs> One fly over her house. Kenzie, <laughs> tricking me. That's right. I love it. I like I like the name though, Petit and I think Leon. it's appreciate. Petite mm-hmm. Leon. Mm-hmm. Yes, Kenzie's our French speaker. I am not. I I can do a little Spanish and a little Greek enough uh, enough to make me dangerous. And, I and do a couple words Latin and a lot of other to make languages. everything dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and Betty was noting regarding uh, regarding the culminating chapter, um, the professor needed to earn his gift. Julia was not going to give away her cookies to a stronzo. He needed to become Dante. <laughs> so true, Betty. Very so true. true. And I just have to. Say, I am so happy that we were able to have Betty join us last week when James Anderson so Frazier uh, was on the podcast. Um, hearing Betty's voice again uh, really brings brought me a lot of joy. Um, Betty, as many of you know, was uh, and is the podcaster, uh, half of the podcast team for uh, Gabriel's series fan podcast, Her and Perling. And it just was really, really great because nobody... Nobody has commentary quite like Betty. Um, as so she true. just said, snarky can, <laughs> snarky can kiss in French and Spanish. Well, <laughs> now, Betty, you know how I feel about snarky and his sexy voice. So that's yes. all I'm saying. <laughs> Susana, Susana, good afternoon over in your neck of the woods. Good to see you all today. Um, and, and as our Petit Leon notes, Betty has, she's said, Betty has a wild side. Yes, so, she does. Mm-hmm. As we... Cue the music. Yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. Little so, read. So one of the things when Pam and I were figuring out what we wanted to do um, for this week's podcast... We actually were inspired by our interview with James last week. Um, and as you know, James celebrated his birthday this past week on June 17th. And I saw a lot of people sent him a lot of birthday love, which was great. That was good. But when we, um, you know, we were asking him what, what he did, how he prepared for the role. And he said when he got casted, he started reading Dante's Inferno and Thomas Aquinas. Mm-hmm. And um, for those of you who want to hear him say those words, it's about 20 minutes into the last podcast that we did, because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. um, that's a direct quote from him. Yes, yes, Lauren, he is very inspiring. <laughs> In many ways. In many ways, and for many fans. So I, I love yes. that. Um, so because of, of that comment, that kind of, uh, you know, we kind of got to thinking, wouldn't it be great? to talk about Thomas Aquinas and the role 
of Thomas Aquinas's work uh, in uh, in SR's work um, and how it's influenced it. And and as I noted to SR in the email, yes, SR, we can go from fangirling to philosophy and theology in the blink of an eye. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> and I think we're going to be going back and forth quite a quite a bit. Um, and yes, Betty, I'm laughing about your comment about, uh, uh, James milking the cows, uh, <laughs> because, uh, yes, she can't see, wait to see James post that video of him milking the cows. Um, as those of you who know, James was, uh, saying that he wants to go to his, um, was it his friends or his cousin's, uh, farm? I think, I think it was a friend. I think it was a friend in uh, Western Canada and uh, get some hands-on training and uh, feel the role, so to speak, of being a dairy farmer. So <laughs> I, I think, I think that would be brilliant. He did say he'd post videos, so we're going to have to, we're going to have to stick, keep we'll him to it. And see for that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. So one of the, you know, talking about, uh, how, you know, I, 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 first of all, I thought how brilliant it was that, um, James right away wanted to kind of dive in a little bit. Um, but I thought it was also very smart because this, one of the reasons, I mean, SR clearly says one of the reasons he wrote this book is to share the story of Dante and Beatrice and, right. um, Dante's work. And so I think to really understand some of the characters he wrote, it was smart for James to kind of do a little little research and look into Thomas Aquinas and look into um, Dante and, and uh, Dante's Inferno. So we thought we'd start with a little bit of background on mm -hmm. Thomas Aquinas himself. Yeah, he, he, you know, uh, being that the... And uh, actually, the well, actually, Pam... We asked SR first. I, I forgot to, to I, oh, I would yeah, be yeah. remiss without asking uh, or without stating. We did ask SR um, in, the, in our email to him this week. We asked him specifically about why, what, in, you know, what specifically, I'm trying to get the language of my question. Why did you include Aquinas in the books? And um, this is what he wrote. Go ahead, Pam. Okay. I've got to find that again, don't I? Oh, uh, well, I can. <laughs> I, I have it. it. I got yeah. it. I have it. Um, for Paul Norris and Dante Studies, Dante studied theology with the Dominicans at uh, Santa Maria Novella in Florence. All that time, and even since, the Dominicans are very proud of Aquinas because he, along with St. Dominic, are two of the most famous members. So Thomasitic theology, which is very important to Catholic theology, provides a structure to Dante's reflections on heaven and hell. He doesn't think that um, one can understand Dante without Aquinas. It is possible, though, that he may have been uh, mentioned in other s stories. Yes. Uh, another yes. series of uh, yes. SRs. Yes. So. Yes. And, and, you know, as you pointed out, he specifically put in Gabriel's Inferno, 
Inferno, Dante's notions of sin are shaped largely by the writings of St. Thomas Mm -hmm. Aquinas. Mm -hmm. And since sin is one of the things that we discussed, (laughs) um, that, you know, sin is one of the things, kind of one of these musings throughout the book. And, um, you know, sin, forgiveness, redemption, hope, Mm -hmm. all of these types of things are tied in. Um, I think it's really important that this kind of is a foundational um, notion. You know, some of his writings are foundational for even the the underpinnings of the story. Um, As Annette says, I had no doubt SR was asked. And Petit Petit Leon says, Pam and Leslie did their research, and research is very important. It's very important to SR, too. (laughs) Yes, it is. So, that's so we can, story. <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, but just learning a little bit about St. Thomas was interesting. He was born in 1225. So mm-hmm. that kind of gives you a little, little point of time. Um, and Rocca Secca, Italy, he was the youngest of eight children. His mother was the Countess of Tiano and his father was the Count of Aquino. Um, and Franca, I know I'm probably butchering the Italian, so forgive me now. His family was considered of lower nobility, despite being a descendant of Frederick I and Henry IV. So there was nobility and royal blood in, um, in him, which I, I didn't realize that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, before he was born, his mother had met a holy hermit who predicted that Thomas would enter the order of friars preachers. He would become a great learner and achieve unequaled sanctity. So I loved this kind of nugget that we found about that too. So there was a, you know, someone, a, a holy person who had this vision that of what Thomas would become. So I think that's kind of interesting. Uh, he was sent to study at the Abbey of Monte Cassino with Benedictine monks at the age of five. And he was described in terms of wisdom eight uh, 19. And I was a witty child and had received a good soul. Um, so apparently he was very, very uh, bright, very inquisitive and posed the question to his benefactors, what is God? Can you imagine this child pressing these questions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, as Betty says, only eight kids. I can barely handle blessedness 2.0. I can't imagine having eight kids. Oh, and thank you, Franca. She said, you're doing very well, Leslie. Not easy to pronounce Italian names with an American accent. And I do have an American accent on that. Thank you, uh, Grazie, Franca, for that. So, you know, he was a very precocious student. He remained with those Benedictine monks until he was 13. And at that point, he was sent back to Naples due to political factions of the day. So, um, you know, I can, I can kind of imagine this learning about, you know, kind of this intrigue that he grew up around, I thought was very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he finished primary education. And one of the things he studied uh, during that time was uh, Aristotle's works. And that was really, really monumental for uh, Thomas, because Aristotle's works, if you read or look into it, um, put uh, him on his path to explore philosophy. And there's a lot of things that Thomas Aquinas pulled from Aristotle. 
And um, I think, again, I thought that was a really interesting connection. Uh, the Benedictine House was affiliated with the University of Naples, and he was drawn um, to more contemporary monastic orders. Uh, so there was kind of like this, uh, this pull between the two. Um, he was really looking more for a life of spiritual service. Does this resonate with anybody? Does anybody recognize spiritual service in any of the writings we've done? Uh, oh. That we've read from <laughs> SR. In particular, Thomas emphasized a life of spiritual service rather than the or traditional values, the core traditional values and sheltered lifestyle that he observed at the Abbey of Monte Cassino. And as Dahlia says, and she's she's listening to this in the kitchen, and um, a lot of people, I'm, I'm looking in the chat room. You're getting your you're getting your philosophy and theology lesson today uh, um, while you're baking and cooking, which I love. Um, <laughs> but I think it's interesting here that you know he he had for early early um, interaction with the Benedictines, uh, very very different than what he was being drawn to as he got older. Um, well, I think it was also part of a family tradition at that point mm -hmm. in time when you had so many kids that right. one of them had to go uh, into the clergy of some sort. Right. I mean, hey, listen, I know I have friends that, from Italy today who always require a, one child, male or female, to either become a priest or a nun. Mm-hmm. And it's not... Un it's not uncommon in some no. um, Central American and Latin American families as well. That's true. That's true. Um, so. so it's, well, the spiritual service, and as Betty said, uh, cough, cough, uh, Willie and Gabriel. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and Petit Leon says, hmm, that sounds familiar. Uh, yes, it does. I mean, because yeah. spiritual service is, is such an underpinning of um, the work in the community that's kind of grown up around SR's writing. Mm -hmm. So again, um, Thomas Aquinas had a lot of influence on, um, or I should say SR drew a lot of inspiration, uh, inspiration from some of these from readings and writings. Yeah. So after, after a while, like he, he goes, get, he's able to go back to the University of Naples. And during that time, he secretly joined the Dominican monks, and when his family found out about this, he they kind of felt betrayed by it because you know monks are supposed to be monks and in cloister and in prayer. Uh, so what they did was they kidnapped him, and they tried oh to program. Yeah, tried to program him from this Dominican cult. I'll put that in quotes. <laughs> and um, well, it's what they. Do. Well, so was, it's, it's, I think, and that makes sense, right? It's something so different or yeah. revolutionary at the time. You know, that's, uh, that's what happened back in the day, right? It did. They did. Well, they, I know. <laughs> that's what happens today. <laughs> it does. I mean, when I was in high school and a little after, there were a lot of um, groups that started up where, whether it be the from Reverend Sun Young Moon or the Moonies as they were called, 
Uh, mm -hmm. I think there was a group called the Twigs. There were a whole bunch of different groups that you, you know, as a young person, you were attracted to them for different reasons. Mm -hmm. Charles Manson was one of those people. Oh. Um, but parents would would kidnap their children and to bring them out and go through deprogramming. So it, it things don't change much. Right. In, well, and, in, and I have to say, um, Dahlia made the comment that that's some dark history there. Yeah. Yes, Dahlia, I, I agree. I totally agree. Truly. It is. And, and Franca's noting, my grandmother had priests in her family. She gave my mother a beautiful crucifix that was a gift from her uncle who was a priest. My mom had given it to me two years ago. I think it must be about 100 years old. It's made from a type of tin not a relic, but definitely a treasured item in my bedroom now. And I That's think, Franco, you're explaining beautifully um, also that tradition of having having family members. Uh, if you are in a growing up in a Roman Catholic family, mm -hmm. um, having family members go into uh, religious orders, um, and I even see Petit Leon had met, even considered becoming a nun. Um, yeah, there's it's a, there's there's a calling, as they say, mm -hmm. um, for people who who consider that Monica's Sophia's aunt is a nun. So I thought about it. Um, I'm sure that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. That doesn't I, surprise I me about at all. When I was a lot younger, but mm -hmm. um, you know, it was it it especially going going to a Catholic school. I was surrounded by nuns, some good, some bad. Mm -hmm. And you, you you start thinking about those things, I guess. Well, and also um, nuns had uh, and and can shape and had a lot of a lot of opportunity to do a lot of amazing work. And I think um, it doesn't surprise me that a lot of a lot of strong women that I've met and encountered have had gone into that life of service. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I realized, um, to be flippant, I did want my bratwurst. Yes, yes. Me. So I was going to say. Um, However, someone noted that if you if you uh, if you would go into being a nun, then you couldn't have your bratwurst, Pam. But she, but true. Petite Leon said she could see Pam as a nun. But you know, and, I, it uh, was yeah, again. You you think through it. You you look at what the life was like. Um, what you wanted in your life, and I made the decision that that's not where I wanted to be. So. Mm -hmm. Right, and and seeing some of the comments in the chat room, um, Mon says her aunt is a teacher nun, and she is cooler than me. I have a hard mm -hmm. time believing anyone's cooler than you, Monica. But I, I think uh, the nuns who do go into education are really, really mm -hmm. very cool. Um, I met a lot. I shouldn't say a lot. I met a few uh, who taught my kids in high school and um, really, really wonderful. Um, Lauren says, I think I'm way too snarky to be, ever be a nun. Um, <laughs> well, you realize that that's a good thing. Annette but, said, I didn't even think of it. Bratwurst is definitely what I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Annette. Yes, well, it is. And, um, and Dahlia was mentioning there's a lot of similarities between Egyptian and Italian traditions in that sense. That she has mm -hmm. a ring that was given to her by her grandma that went 
around five generations. Wow. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's family. It's, it's a lot of sharing of, um, and passing on of the knowledge and the, the history. Um, I think that's, it's really beautiful. Uh, Franca made the note that she thinks nuns in our youth were a lot stricter and meaner, Pam. Um, so, and she said, thankfully they are more open-minded now. Well, I think because I think a lot of the nuns today that go into the convent um, go in with the purpose of dedicating their life to to God and and doing uh, God's work. On mm -hmm. God. Yeah, you know the ge generation I was in, a lot of the women that were nuns were, usually came from very large families. Parents couldn't afford to keep them in the house anymore. So, you know, you're 13 years old, you're going to the convent. So, not all cases, but uh, I think a, a good portion of them. So, mm -hmm. and so their hearts weren't truly into it. Uh, and that, that can be hard. That can be very hard, especially if it's not the life you want. Mm-hmm. So, um, anyways, Monica, so. Monica and, and Lauren were noting that they both ended up, they both attended Catholic universities, which I think is mm -hmm. good. And before we leave this topic, I did want to mention Jean Ann had a great comment, um, not, a, not solely about people who went into religious orders, but she noted that her family is very Italian and Polish um, in her, their, her heritage. And every one of us are extremely active in the church as both parishioners and leadership. So I thought that was an interesting comment as well, Jean Ann, because uh, the laity and having that tradition is also something that, um, you know, it, it goes back to what we were talking about um, earlier uh, about what Aquinas uh, was being drawn to when he was looking at the more contemporary orders of his day. And that was a life of spiritual service rather than the sheltering um, of the Benedictines. Right. So Betty was also saying that as a little girl, she thought about being a nun, but she didn't go for it. And otherwise, how could she explain Gabriel's Inferno to Mother Superior? <laughs> this is true. Um, and Susanna also um, just mentioned that she has a nun in her family. They sent her from Slovakia to France and Italy. So... There's so much to learn, and um, Petit Leon had made that and that comment that she's learned a lot through uh, SR's writings. And Dahlia mm -hmm. said, "We are all our Kenzie religion is a diverse topic, so many details and cultural influences, but it sure is an interesting point to widen your knowledge scope." One agreed, uh, sure. and that's again, this is one of the things that draws people to SR's writing. Um, I, I like to call him the great or the ultimate professor because he, um, through his storytelling, you also are getting a lot of lessons in, in art, culture, theology, philosophy, um, mm -hmm. human humanity. Um, and, you know, I think um, this is a great example. I mean, I didn't know a lot about Thomas Aquinas at all before uh, we were preparing for this podcast. And um, it's, it's wonderful to be able to explore these different topics. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to his history, 
So you were talking he, a little bit about when he was, uh, he, he was after he was trying, they were his parents. Exactly. And he was imprisoned into a fortress at, at San Giovanni and held fast what he had learned, but he held on to what he had learned through the years. And about a year after he was uh, kidnapped, he went back to, uh, he was released, went back to Naples and continued to study with the Dominicans. And he went on to study in Naples, Paris, and Cologne, where he was ordained. He went to teach theology at the University of Paris, and that was under the tutelage of Albertus Magnus, or St. Albert the Great. Uh, he learned his, he earned his doctorate of theology there, and consistent with the whole, the Holy Hermit's prediction. Mm-hmm. You know, it's amazing. Which I think that's whole, that whole story is very cool, which I had never that, heard before. I, yeah, I'd like to delve into that a little bit more sometime. One of the mm-hmm. things that I find fascinating with SRS writing is that he does tend to delve a little bit into the metaphysical. Yes. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, just to find that part of it out would be cool. Um, many of his clams would classmates thought he was somewhat dim-winded and uh, uh, he had a very modest demeanor. But after reading Thomas's thesis, St. Albert the Great proclaimed, we call this young man a dumb ox, but his bellowing in doctrine will one day resound throughout the world. And that's pretty profound. I mean, for such a great respected theologian of the day mm-hmm. um, who had you know, um, kind of has raised up and brought attention to this uh, Thomas, who a lot of his classmates just thought wasn't really very bright. But mm-hmm. that's when the writing and his thoughts were, you know, were evolving. Um, and I, I liked that story as well, because it's kind of like you can't judge a book by its cover. You can't always say, you can't always make a uh, an assessment of what a person is on face value or, or mm-hmm. on first impressions. Uh, you have to dig a little deeper. And the fact that his, his knowledge and insight was recognized. Um, and, and Albert already had said that his doctrine will be resounding throughout the world. And look, how many hundreds of, how many centuries later are we talking about uh, his work, the work of works. Thomas. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um, at that point, he became, or as as he evolved, he became known as the Christian Apostle, and was a sought after teacher. He traveled, wrote, taught, was a public speaker, and preached. He was a philosopher, theologian, theologian, and combined the principles of faith and reason, which, again, the reason that kind of comes into his training with uh, uh, Aristotle. Aristotle. He was a prolific writer with 60 known works, Summa Theologica, Summa Contra Gentiles, um, among others. St. Thomas also uniquely addressed appropriate social behavior towards God. He gave his ideas a timeless, contemporary, everyday context. Laws of state were a natural product of human nature. Um, so even there, that's almost like underpinnings of s- social um, governance, right? Mm-hmm. Laws of state, product of early, human nature. Early days 
of social media. Right. Um, and these were s- crucial to the social welfare. So it's all already kind of uh, laying the groundwork for, for future generations. By adding those laws of state, people could earn salvation of their souls in the afterlife. And he identified three types of laws, natural, positive, and eternal. Um, I also thought this was interesting that he's the patron saint of academics, philosophers, publishers, and theologians. Um, And he has influenced Western philosophy, Catholic philosophy, and Protestant theology. Um, And the Dominicans are very proud um, of him, as you would would assume, and St. Dominic as well. Um, So the patron saint of publishing. I know. There you go. (laughs) <laughs> maybe we can um, have an, an ask for an intercession so we can get those German uh, <laughs> German uh, translations uh, done. <laughs> I know, Vina. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah you know, exactly. One of the things, that were, when I lived in New York, there were two colleges, St. Thomas Aquinas and Dominican College, that were mm-hmm. right near each other in by where I lived. And he, he, you know, they were big. St. Thomas Aquinas was big with teachers, had a lot Mm -hmm. of teachers come out of there. And Dominican had a lot of social work, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it be through nursing or actual social work workers that come through. So, you know, his his philosophies are even being taught today on, on those things which I find very cool. I do too. I, and, and well, and it goes, it goes back to that underpinning of service. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think, um, you know, uh, Franca uh, was commenting about uh, to Betty, who had made a reference earlier about the, you know, explaining uh, to the nuns. Uh, she said, don't, I don't think you could explain Gabriel's Inferno even to the modern day nuns. They might appreciate, but they might appreciate the religious bits and definitely Gabriel and Julia's visits to the church. And Lauren just, um, Lauren just noted um, that she's laughing, saying, "I'm trying to picture the look on my nun teacher's face if you started describing some of Gabriel's other activities besides besides visiting um, the, the churches church. in Assisi." <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Oh, we went to a gallery today. Did you? What'd you see? Well, (laughs) (laughs) well, what can I tell you? We had some spiritual activities, right? That's Um, true. (laughs) A religious experience of some sort. Um, But, you know, we wanted to give you a little bit of background about Thomas Aquinas, right? Because these. these thoughts, these underpinnings of his philosophy and his theology really have shaped Dante and therefore have Mm -hmm. shaped um, these books. And when we asked SR um, if there's any specific reason why you selected Paul to mention Aquinas Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, kind of why, how he wove, how he decided to weave this in or why he decided to weave it in. And we referenced a little bit earlier um, 
that if you're going to study Dante, you need to read St. Thomas. It's just one of the things you have to do. So those of you on the podcast who are interested in learning um, more about Dante, uh, take a page out of James's book and look look into St. Thomas a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, SR said it would make sense that Paul and Julianne would have studied him in college. Um, Paul at St. Michael's in Vermont, which is uh, from the Society of St. Edmund, as well as Boston College, which is a Jesuit uh, tradition. And then Julianne at St. Joseph's University, which is also the Jesuit tradition. God bless those Jesuits. (laughs) I know, I know. Um, and, And we started to dig into... Um, not just the background of Thomas, but we wanted to take a look and examine um, where where some of his writings uh, are referenced in the in the books. Mm-hmm. So the the first the first uh, place we saw it um, was in Gabriel's lecture, and this is directly where they're directly referenced in the books, because mm-hmm. as we were talking, I mean, a lot of his a lot of this uh, thematically. Is, is inspired by uh, St. Thomas. Um, but it's used in Gabriel's lecture, Lust in Dante's Inferno, The Deadly Sin Against the Self. Um, and that is, uh, you know, as you, as you know, um, as you may recall when we were reading these books, um, it's noted that in the Summa Theologica, Aquinas questions nature and the existence, simplicity, perfection, and infinity of God. And if you think about this, I, I, and it actually just clicked in my head as, as I was rereading this right now. This is the same question that that five-year-old little boy Thomas had when he went to the Benedictines to begin his religious time. training. Mm-hmm. What is God? you know, Mm -hmm. and he's questioning the nature and that this whole underpinning of, uh, of what, what is nature, what is existence, what is, what is God? Um, and I, I, as you know, Gabriel put, wove this into his, um, his lecture, um, Lest in Dante's Inferno, the deadly sin against the self. Um, and during the lecture, Gabriel points out, that Aquinas argues that evil action or sin is a form of self-destruction. And, um, you know, how many, I mean, talk about having a theme going through the, the book. I mean, that really is Gabriel, one of Gabriel's struggles, is, right? It is a big he, struggle he, he feels that he is evil and that he is such a sinner, he is not able to get away from sin. He's the magnet for sin, right? Um, and I love that scene too, as well as, you know, when he and Julia were going back and forth, Mm -hmm. um, you know, she's, she didn't think sin was drawn to a person. Um, but in, you know, Gabriel felt like this is evil. He's evil. Mm -hmm. So much self-loathing. Yeah, that is his self-loathing. And, you know, he puts on this great front and... Uh, as being this professor, you know, he's, he's strong and arrogant and tough and whatever. And really deep down inside, he really has all kinds of issues mm-hmm. that you don't see right away. 
And he's so damaged. And I think I really thought it was interesting that Gabriel, the character of Gabriel, even chose that topic to present on. Mm-hmm. Lust in Dante's Inferno, the deadly sin against the self. It's it's almost as if he was trying to he was trying to come to terms and try to have a self-examination um, through through an academic context, but he really was kind of trying to figure out who he, um, is. Who he is. And and I'm seeing some comments, some very um, very good comments in the chat room. Uh, Dolly said, Dahlia said, I agree, Leslie. To be a true believer, you have to ask that question and dive into that journey of knowing and see seeing God. Um, in everything that's surrounding us. And um, Annette noted um, that Gabriel is a lost and damaged boy. And Monica just noted purgatory. You know, he's kind of in this, this state in of, of he's so evil and he, there's, no, there's no hope. There's nowhere. He's stuck. He's stuck. Um, and Annette Annette noted with all of his education, he's still that little boy until he heals that damage. He always will be. Mm -hmm. Um, and petite Leon noted, that's why I relate to Gabriel and love him so much. Um, and, and I think, I think that relate, I think that relatability also is, is kind of that essence of being right. That essence of, um, of self-reflection and of, um, wondering, you know, the basic question of what is life? What is, what is the point of it all? Right. True. true. And, um, you know, when you look at, at Gabriel's character and, and the relationship between Dante and Beatrice as a younger man, he's gone through the circles of hell. Right. And he's now in this purgatory section and Julianne is Beatrice. Who's going to, hopefully pull him out of purgatory and, and show him paradise, you know, and we know, we all know the stories cause we've read it. We've read them once or twice. Um, that that's basically what, she, what she does. And so this, this is like his reflection of what's been going through and how he's progressing in his life. And I, I don't think he started this lecture get, getting it together when he met Julianne. I have a feeling it was started be, before he even classes even acknowledged because I'm sure as, as a, his uh, academic background, he would be doing research for this for a while. So. I agree with that. Um, and there's been some really good comments um, coming out of the chat room uh, about this, uh, Dahlia noted, what I admire about Gabriel is that through his damage, he relied on himself to rediscover himself and see goodness in himself. Julia gave him the nudge, opened his eyes to the possibilities, but it was all within him, not relying on someone else to get out of his Mm self-loathing. And, you know, I think that really speaks to a lot of things. I mean, that speaks to uh, people in addiction, for example, that, and, uh, you know, Gabriel is an addict, and that he was stuck, but no one can get you out of that except you. And um, it's, it's really, I thought that was a really, really good point you, you made, Dahlia, 
um, about how he is the one who had to get himself out. And at this point in the story, when he is doing this lecture, and Pam, I agree with you, he probably researched this well before Julia mm -hmm. stepped foot in his classroom, or at least started the research for it. Um, he, at this point, really needed that, um, was still looking and trying to figure things out and, and felt ha helpless. Like, like Mon said, he was in his own purgatory. Mm -hmm. And, uh, um, you know, as Petit Leon says, going on the spiritual journey. Um, and Annette made a point saying, we all have a bit of Gabriel in us one way or the other. Absolutely. And a lot of people are agreeing. Um, and Petit Leon noted, yes, you do have to get yourself out. No one can do it for you. And it's, it's true. Um, and I think finding that inner strength, realizing that inner strength, um, is a way that you grow and learn. And that also is how you can, uh, grow into a life of spiritual service. Um, if that's the direction you choose to go and that ties into a lot of what drew Thomas to it, um, for sure. And I'm seeing, uh, Lauren note, it's said that writers write books about things they need to learn and pastors, uh, preach out what they need to hear, et cetera. So maybe Gabriel is trying to hear his own message in his lecture. I think that's a great point, Lauren. Mm -hmm. Um, it's one of those things that he's trying to work out for himself. And, um, and maybe even on a subconscious level, he might not even realize at this point that this is what he needs. Mm -hmm. um, it just might be something that he finds of interest because it, it really, um, at the basic, um, his, his most inner voice is, is, is pointing him in that direction. Um, it, and it's his teacher, quote unquote. Right. Putting him through. Right. Exactly. Um, Susanna noted, I can definitely tell that those younger readers know um, they can't find the religious parts of the book. Um, and it depends. I, I, I see a lot of comments about some people are focused just on the romance. And mm -hmm. uh, Petit Leon noted, I think some completely miss elements uh, that are entwined in the story and only focus on the romance. And you know what? That's okay because That's everyone okay. brings their own perspective um, Monica says young readers go to the erotic. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, then you, and then you get people like me who sit there are always questioning their own religion, their own faith, mm -hmm. that can see that in, you know, in the story itself. It's a beautiful story. You love it. You love the romance, the erotica of it. But it, one of the things that I've always, I've always said this about SR's writing, he makes you want to learn something. Yes. He, it, it's almost as if it's a challenge. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what I've been finding in the stories for myself. So I agree. I agree. It's, uh, and as Samia noted, the diversity is amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is. And, and Adali is saying that's true, Pam. Um, and Petit Leon says that's because SR is a professor. He's the great professor, uh, as I say. <laughs> and as Monica noted, and Monica, that's a great point. If you don't learn, the books are not for you. Um, and Susie says, this is why I felt so hard, fell so hard for Gabriel. He is so damaged. 
He might be an arse at times, but he's so broken and my heart just hurt for him. I knew there would be goodness and kindness in him, and he just needed someone like Julia to uh, help him see that. Um, I have to say, Susie, I 100% agree with you. Um, that His character drew me in from the, very, from, the, from the beginning for that reason. I knew there was a reason why he was acting that way. Um, and I didn't think he was an ass. He was acting like one, but I, I, I didn't think he was. I, I felt like he was doing this out of some kind of pain. And for me, that was, that was what I was digging into. How, why, what happened to, to cause this man to act this way? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the, the self-loathing that you kind of stumble upon there is, is pretty uh, stunning. And, it's, uh, and I have to say, again, um, the way Julio portrayed that pain um, and that depth was really, really impressive. Um, not easy to do. Um, and I, I think, you know, when you're looking at this, this type of thing, um, it, it really, uh, it, it really demonstrates, uh, the, the fact that that character at that point in time really did feel like he was beyond hope and, uh, was in purgatory. Um, so, and I'm seeing some really good comments, uh, coming up again. Dahlia noted, um, Oh, thank you. Chatting with you ladies opened up so many possibilities. This book can tap into um, whether it's religion, self-discovery, romance, redemption, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, it's true. And, and more we talk to other people, and especially people across the globe, you know, everyone brings their different backgrounds, their, their different religious traditions, spiritual traditions, mm-hmm. um, cultural uh, perspectives. And I think it's a great way to learn um, about each other as well. And, and Betty noted, this is why book clubs and the podcast are great. It allows everyone to discuss all the different things they learn from the book. It opens everyone's horizons. And, um, I couldn't agree more. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's, it, I've learned so much from talking to, uh, other readers. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, you know, it, it, it's allowing us. And SR is allowing us to explore a lot about the human condition. Um, and I'm yeah. seeing... Oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, Lauren noted that uh, she thinks Gabriel and Julia's connection to spirituality and faith is beautiful. But then when she comes back to the world, she has a lot of issues with organized religion these days. And some people struggle to separate faith, spirituality from religion. And to her, these things are different. So people uh, can glaze over some of the elements. You know, it, that is very true, Lauren. I mean, I was, I was raised a Catholic, Roman Catholic. Um, I married a man outside of the church. I started going to his church. And they, I still have that struggle of mm-hmm. what's organized, what's spiritual, uh, to to continue with with my own journey, and you know that's basically where I am today. Uh, still struggling, and I think it's a struggle I'll go through most of my life. Uh, some people can actually embrace what they believe and go towards that, but I'm still in that 
heads heads uh, blogging. Well, and so. I, I I think people I think there is that spiritual journey that is lifelong. I mean, that's mm-hmm. I I know. I know there's always questioning. There's always wanting to, to learn uh, more. And, um, you know, as I'm looking through, um, you know, the comments uh, noting how the depth, Betty said, Gabriel's like an onion. There's so many layers to this enigmatic man. Mm-hmm. And Petit Leon said, I feel like if you skim over a lot of the intellect um, SR intertwines into the story. You miss a lot of the beauty of the story. There's so many layers and I love that so much. Mm-hmm. And, um, Monica says SR combines it all. It's like poetry art yeah. itself and art combines a message, a story, a feeling, a lesson. Mm-hmm. Um, Monica added to that and that's completely true. And I think, again, this is one of the draws to the books. Um, Annette noted that there's many writers who try and write characters like this, but without some of the spiritual side, those characters lack the depth needed and they fall flat. And I think that's also why when Passion Flicks was casting the films, um, they were specifically, and I think SR was specifically looking um, for actors who also had a, a, a kind of an academic sensibility, had an understanding of some of these deeper um, issues, not just the, not just the romance, but some of these other, um, issues that he's addressing in the book. Um, and I, again, I think the casting couldn't have been done better. Um, Dahlia says, you know, it really tells you a lot about the writer. SR is an intellect and not just a writer that's talented with words. There's so much depth and reflection in everything he says. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm a, astonished i just looked at the time it's it's already we're already over the hour it's 10 oh wow um i am thinking we we do part two next week pam next week. sounds good um next week we can talk about um, we'll get more in, into gabriel's where, uh redemption yes it goes more into redemption and and into the florentine series as well so we can delve into that a little bit yeah, I mean, there's so much, and this also will give uh, you ladies. I know some of some of you have been rereading Florentine. I've I've seen people posting online, um, but yeah, I mean, there's a whole other level. I remember when I sent the email to SR earlier. I'm like, I'm trying to remember. Did you did you mention Thomas Aquinas and other books? And um, the answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> So, I can actually uh, tell <laughs> you that there are only two books or three books actually where mm-hmm. he's not mentioned. And the obvious yeah. is The Man in the Black Suit and Gabriel's Promise. But also in the Florentine series, uh, he's not mentioned in a couple of spots. So, a couple of the books. So, it makes it interesting. It and, really uh, does. Um, and so much depth. Although I do think you, there are probably elements of Aquinas's writing that show up in. in uh, I can, I can remember early on, very early on, um, in reading SR's work, and commenting to him. I said, you know, I've, you've talked about Dominican theology or philosophy, and I've seen the Jesuit philosophy, and. I'm like, but the only one I haven't seen 
is the Augustinian philosophy. And he says, oh, it's there. It's there. And he pinpointed me, and I think it was to something uh, of Scott's that he talked about, where the Augustinian theology comes in. So I just, you know, what can I tell you? <laughs> I'm weird that way. So I, I and, and okay. I'm I, every. I think it's hey. I think it's good. I, and I'm looking. Um, Monica said Gabriel needs to needs to feed. I need to be fed with this kind these kinds of chats. Um, and yeah, we, we, we were, you know, as we said, we, we, we are making the swing. We can go from fangirling to theology in the blink, in the of, blink an of an eye, eye. and back um, again <laughs> and back again and philosophy. Cause really he's the, he's a philosopher. Right. Annette said, what a thought provoking and spiritually enlightening episode today. Thank y'all you. too, <laughs> y'all too do the church today. <laughs> y'all too into church today. That's right. That's right. The Church of SR. The Church of SR. <laughs> Go in peace. No. To love yes. and serve. <laughs> but, it, you know, it does. This is an underpinning. And, and I just keep kind of smiling in the fact that this all came about because we talked to James last week and he had that nugget and that kind of just prompted the idea. You never know where your inspiration comes from. Absolutely. Um, yeah, she was saying, Annette said, we, were, we, took, us, we took them to church today. So... Um, and Pittsburgh Lauren said, I love this conversation today. Thank you all. I'm glad you guys could join us. I'm, we were yeah. glad you liked it. Pam and I were a little bit like, is this going to be too boring? Are we going to get, <laughs> are we going to be esoteric. a little bit too didactic here? Is this, uh, yeah. yeah. It's not us usually squealing over, uh, you know, over the squealing actors. over <laughs> the actors. Um, but there was some squealing involved. Um, there was. And, and Petit Leon said, well, loved yeah. it. Looking forward to part two. Yes. Uh, thank yeah, you, Monica. So we will continue this next week. And uh, I am going to leave you with a little three dog night. Never been to Spain. Spain. I love Love Spain. But love that's it. another story. All right. Yeah. And so. actually, it will be another story that SR is writing right now. I know. Or at least a Spanish character. I'm very excited about that. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so and enjoy the rest of your weekend, everybody, and have a good week. Take care and be safe, friends. 